0: I want you to stand with me this morning, if you will, and we are starting a brand new series called Encounters with God, and I think there's about six, maybe seven of them, and we're looking at them all through the book of Genesis, and uh, so today we're looking at Genesis chapter 22, and uh, there are 14 verses that we're going to read. I'm going to read blue, I think, and you're going to read black, and this is what it says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you.
1: So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac.
0: And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together.
1: When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac His son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham and he said here I am
0: And he said do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me.
1: And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and offering it up as a burnt offering, instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided.
0: Let's pray together. Father, again we are humbled by your goodness and grace in our lives. We are honored by the fact that you call us your sons and daughters. And so we ask now for the aid, the assistance, the help of your spirit. To speak clearly, to hear and understand clearly. And Lord, even as we leave this place today, to go out into our homes and into our neighborhoods and our places of work and recreation and education. And wherever it is that we get our services. The Father, we pray that we would live out in meaningful, tangible ways what it looks like to be your disciples. To be Christ followers. And so we thank you and we praise you and ask this for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. Why not you be seated? Now, the first thing that we notice here in this text is this is a problematic text. Now, I, um, I read this text this week, and, and I, probably like many, if not most of us, um, have read this text dozens and dozens of times and, added, and have had it read. But I wonder what it would be like for somebody who has never ever read the Bible, not exposed to the Christian faith, and what it would be like for them to read this text for the very first time. Now I want us, if we can, and I know this is difficult because of our familiarity with it for some of us, I want us to imagine what it would be like For someone to hear or read this text for the very first time. And I think that on the first hearing or reading, there would be a number of questions. And so here's some of the questions that I think might come up as this text is read or heard. First of all, what kind of God would command such a thing? What kind of God? How can God command one of his followers to murder his son? And not just murder in general, but to murder his only son, his loved son. And for those of us that know Christianity, how can God go back on the miracle-promised fulfillment that God has set in Isaac. And then, how can God, who our pastors and parents have taught us over and over again, that have taught us that God, who loves us from eternity, would command such a cold-blooded How can God, who Jesus tells us has such a tender heart that he is moved even by the death of sparrows, command a father to kill a son without even the slightest hint of explanation? Matter of fact, there was a text like this that caused a man by the name of Marcion to actually teach that the God of the New Testament was in fact different from the God of the Old Testament, and the early church, of course, condemned him as a heretic. But the term that the rabbis use for this story is a Hebrew term that is named akeda, or akida, and it, it comes from the Hebrew word binding. And Akeda is the binding of Isaac. And the binding of Isaac is a dark and it is a difficult story to read and to think about. A long time ago, a great Scottish preacher by the name of Alexander White didn't moralize, theolize, or philosophize this story. He just said, I do not understand this dark dispensation of God. That all the seed of Abraham are often compelled to say, all is dark, is midnight to me. Now one of the great things that I love about the Bible, one of the things that I love about the Bible that's great, is that the Bible gives us the good, bad, and the ugly. It never spares us from the things that we think are inappropriate or politically incorrect. The Bible, this is what I, one of the things I love about the Bible. We get the good, we get the bad, and we get the ugly. Now, secondly, this story, which we're going to look at in a couple of moments in the context of the story, we also understand is prophetic. And it's prophetic in that it points to a another defining event, another defining story in the Bible, and it anticipates the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So consider this, Isaac, Abraham's only son, and God, Jesus, God's only son. Both Isaac and Jesus are sons of promise. An angel announced to Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a son in their old age. And an angel, of course, we know, announced the birth of Jesus to Mary and Joseph. Both children, both boys, were named before their conception. You shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be Isaac, for you laughed. That's what it means. Both sons were miraculously and supernaturally conceived. Both of them were the only sons of their fathers. And both these boys had fathers who were willing to sacrifice their only son. Both willingly carried the wood that they would be sacrificed on up to the place where they were to be sacrificed. And both of them willingly was laid upon the wood. And then, of course, both Isaac and Jesus were dead for three days. Now, of course, we know that for Jesus, this is literal. But in Isaac's case, it is figurative but it was an understanding uh, that the biblical writers didn't want us to miss. Because in verses 3 and 4, it tells us that Mount Moriah was a three-day journey, and on that three-day journey, Abraham is grieving the loss of his son. Of course, we know that both were raised back to life. Jesus again, of course, literally, and Isaac figuratively. The writer of Hebrews says these words, E Abraham, consider that God was able even to raise from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did raise, receive him back. And lastly, both sons received brides prepared for them by their fathers. For Isaac, it was Rebekah, for Jesus, it was the church. And so when we look at it, we understand as well, not only are there incredible similarities between Isaac and Jesus, but we want to consider the message. Now, verse 7 says this. Verse 7 says, and Isaac said to his father, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham says, son, God himself will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering.'" And then as we scoot down and roll down to verse 14, we get these words. So Abraham called that place, sorry, so Abraham called the name of that place God will provide. And he said, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now the King James is a little bit clearer, believe it or not. The authorized version says, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Yirah or Jehovah-Jireh. And it literally means, on the mount it shall be seen. Now, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah, of course, is God. And Yira, or Jireh, whichever way you want to pronounce it, literally means the God who provides. Yira, or Jireh, is the word to see. It's the verb to see. But it has a little bit more of a nuance. It means... To see beforehand, so Jehovah Yira or Jehovah Jireh literally means the Lord who will see it. It's the difference between prevision, prevision, and provision. The God who, the Lord who sees what the need is, will also provide and make the provision. We do it all the time. We do it every day, and we don't even realize that we do it. Matter of fact, some of you are doing it right now. Some of you are thinking about lunch. Raise your hand if you're thinking about lunch. Throw those people up. Some of you are thinking, now, i got to feed the kids. Or i got to feed my spouse. I'll let you do whatever you want with that. And you're thinking, now, should we go to the Chou chalet? And, or should we go get pizza? Or maybe some of you add the prevision to actually put food in the oven and it's baking right now or in your instant pot. And you add the prevision to make provision for lunch. That's what God is doing here. In this text. Prevision is a prerequisite of provision. Now here's the great news. Here's the great news for you and I. That God already knows what you need, what you need, what I need, what we need. We refer to that as God being the eternal now. Now, you know, of course, that time is something that we understand and we live within, and God sort of uh, condescends himself to put himself in time for our benefit. But God is timeless. So follow this, and I know it's hard to get your head around it, but follow it for a minute. This is February the 11th, 2018. God, the eternal now, is already... In February 12, 2018. Matter of fact, God is already in February 11, 2019. And at the same time, here's something that will blow your mind. He's already back at the same time in February 11, 1978. I don't know why I picked that date. I was 18 years old. It's called the eternal Now. So we fuss and fume about God not knowing our needs. Listen, folks, you and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But God's already there. He's not surprised because He's already there. He is the eternal now. And this is what we need to understand. Know what it says. It's not just that God does provide, it says God will. God will. Not just that he does. And even were Abraham's words as he is leaving the group that came with him and Isaac and Abraham are going to add up to Mount Moriah, listen to what Abraham says. He says to them, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham knows that God is the eternal now, may not describe it as such, but God, Abraham knows that God does not only provide, but he will provide. And by the way, both myself and the boy will be back. Now get your head around that for a moment. I don't have a better explanation, by the way. But the anticipation is that both of them will Return. Now, of course, one of the main points of the story is the deliverance of Isaac through provision of a substitute. And in Isaac's case, it's a ram caught in the thicket. In our case, it's Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is our substitute. But get this in God's Son's case, there is no substitute. and that should get our attention and then there's this the place the place that they go to is called Mount Moriah it means foreseen by Jehovah That's what it means now in second chronicles chapter 3 verse 1 it tells us this that Mount Moriah where Abraham is to offer Isaac is the same mountain where King Solomon will build the temple. And the temple is the center of Jewish religion. It is in that temple on Mount Moriah that year after year and week after week and day after day, bulls and goats and sheep and lambs and pigeons are sacrificed and are sacrificed. All with the anticipation that one day on Mount Moriah where Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac, on Mount Moriah where Solomon built a temple, is the same mountain where Jesus, the Son of God, would be our substitute. And once and for all, the sacrifice and the substitution would be complete. Now, let me get to the actual story. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, is the, the defining moment in Abraham's life. Now, before we get too metaphorical and too moralistic and just sort of see all the New Testament in, the, in this story, we need to understand that this is a historical event. This is a story of a human being who lived in time and space. And it is the defining moment of Abraham's life of faith. And it is introduced as a test. And the very first words of the text says, And after these things, God tested Abraham. After these things. So the question then is, after what things? Well, after enough details in Abraham's life have accumulated so that it can show us that he is a person of faith that he is a person who listens to God and he is a person who obeyed God with his life. Now here's something I didn't know before. There are, in um, the word faith is the noun, believe is the verb that comes from the same Hebrew word, amon. Do you know, and I didn't know this before, that only once in the entire story of Abraham, only once, is Abraham mentioned as a person of faith. It's in Genesis chapter 15 where it says, And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's actually Paul in the New Testament in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 25, that Paul zeroes in on Abraham's faith the entire chapter. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 11, where the term faith is used 26 times in connection with 19 people. Four of those times, it is mentioned of Abraham's faith. He's the most, faith is mentioned most in Hebrews 11 of Abraham, and Moses is a close second. With three mentions. It's kind of like the, the Olympics of faith. But after these things, establishes Abraham as the father of the faithful. It establishes Abraham as being the father of the people of faith. And our text. Abraham's story that we just read familiarizes us with the word faith. Obeying God's call to leave his country and obey, trusting in what he or in whom he or we cannot see, living in relationship to one. He and we cannot see. And finally, venturing into a land, into circumstance, into situation that we know nothing about. Peterson said this, Eugene Peterson, faith has to do with marrying the visible, the invisible, and the visible. When we engage in an act of faith, We give up control. We give up sensory sensory sight, hearing, etc., sensory confirmation of reality. We give up insisting on head knowledge as our primary means of orientation in life. And Peterson says the positive way to say this is that we engage in an act of faith. We choose to deal with a living God whom we trust to know what he is doing. Now, faith, as almost always, involved some kind of sacrifice. Now, It's the sacrifice, of course, in this story that causes us the most angst. It's the sacrifice that gets God in trouble. And it gets us in some trouble. Because we all know that we struggle with sacrifice. I mean, who likes sacrifice? When God asks me, when God asks you, when God asks us to leave something, to give up something. Now, before we go too far, and I'll come back to this in a moment, there's three things I want to highlight. First of all is this that Abraham's test is embedded in a context. Now, our text is about three days. That's it. Just three days. But the larger context of what we're talking about here is spread out over a 100 years of Abraham's life. Now, remember, for those of you who don't know, that God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, which is uh, ancient Mesopotamia. God called... uh, Um, Abraham out of there when he was 75 years old. And the Bible tells us that he was 175 when he died. Abraham is no rookie when it comes to sacrifice. Having to give up stuff. Having to let things go. Now, out of the 175 years of Abraham's life, we only have 17 stories. And when we look at those 17 stories, one of the things we realize is that when we speak of sacrifice in Abraham's life, we have to speak of it as plural, sacrifices. Because Abraham lived his life having been repeatedly, over and over again, being tested by God. Genesis chapter 22 is the pinnacle. So Abraham is a man well acquainted with sacrifice. At 75, Abraham started sacrificing. He started letting go. He started giving up. He started releasing. He started leaving. And he leaves Ur, and then he leaves Haran, and then he leaves Shechem, and then he leaves Bethel, and he leaves Egypt, and Gerar, and Bathsheba, and leaving, and leaving, and leaving, and giving up, and giving up, and letting go, and releasing, and sacrificing, and sacrificing, over, and over, and over again. And if he hadn't been willing... To sacrifice and leave and let go and give up and release. He would have never been able to receive. And because of the sacrifice and because of the leaving and because of the letting go. And because of the willingness to give stuff up. He received the promises. And he received the covenant. And he received the three angels who came as strangers. And he received Isaac, and he received circumcision. And here in this text, he receives a ram in the thicket. And Abraham did for a hundred years, being transformed into a life that abandoned self-sovereignty to embrace God's sovereignty. And in the process, he gradually realized that the act of sacrifice and letting go and giving up and releasing and leaving is a prerequisite in the life of faith. And so the binding of Isaac on Mount Moriah is the pinnacle of sacrifices in Abraham's life and the greatest test that Abraham would ever face. Secondly, Like every other human being, Abraham's test is embedded in obedience and disobedience, in faith and unbelief. Abraham's faith is tested over a hundred years, and the Bible tells us something very interesting. His faith didn't always survive. His faith failed in Egypt, in Gerar. And his faith failed when it came to Hagar and Ishmael. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, you and I are going to be tested and you and I are going to fail. We're going to be successful, but we're also going to fail. And one of the beautiful things, great things about the Bible is the Bible gives us the good, bad, and the ugly, even in the great patriarch, Abraham. And here's the third thing that I want to say, is that God tests us all. Me, you, us. And sometimes our faith will pass, and sometimes it will not. We'll fail, and we'll fail miserably. But our faith, all faith, everyone's faith, needs to be tested. And God tests us all. And a sacrificial life is the only means by which my life of faith, your life of faith, our lives of faith, will mature. To live a life of faith is to be tested. To be a Christ follower is to be tested. And God tests us all. It's the way of faith. Now back to our text. Back to our story, Abraham. Heinrich Auerbach said these words. He says, since everyone knows that this is a story, Genesis 22, that this is a story about a hidden God, we should not be surprised to be surprised at what happens. But we are surprised, aren't we? Now, let me give you a couple things here. First of all, this. One of the things that's interesting in Genesis chapter 22 in our text and our story is this. There is absolutely no hint or no indication of surprise. Abraham is not surprised that God asks him to do what he asks him to do. And Isaac is not surprised that he is not sacrificed. So that God would ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son... Surprises us. But it doesn't surprise Abraham. It's peculiar. But the truth is. When God tests me and you. We're surprised, right? Why would God ask me to do that? Why would God ask me to let go of that? Why would God ask me to sacrifice that. Why would God ask me to release that? Why would God ask me to leave that? As if it's something unusual, or something abnormal, something that doesn't make sense. But in the Christian context, and in the biblical context, and in the context of Abraham's life, this is all very normal. Abraham, God rather, tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham gets ready to do so, and then God calls it off. You saw the story goes. Rabbi Michael Lerner said this. He said, the greatness of Abraham is not that he takes his son to Mount Moriah so that he can sacrifice his son. He says, no, the greatness of Abraham is that he doesn't go through with it. But the truth is that it's really not Abraham that doesn't go through with it. It is God that doesn't go through with it. Abraham was ready to put the knife in his son's throat. But God calls it off, well, at least in Isaac's situation, but certainly not in Jesus' situation. See, Abraham is coming out of a Ur of the Chaldees, 75 years old, an ancient Mesopotamian culture who had multiple gods and goddesses. Some of which, by the way, would have demanded child sacrifice so that a god would ask somebody to sacrifice. It's not a big deal to Abraham because he grew up with this. But there's another piece. You see, when Abraham grew up and became a man and matured into adulthood at 75 years old, He was familiar with gods and goddesses asking, demanding that people, their worshippers, serve them. But Yahweh, Jehovah God, is different. He not only provides for himself, He provides for His people. And this kind of God in Ur of the Chaldees in ancient Mesopotamia is unheard of. This is something that Abraham had never, ever seen ever before. A God who actually provides for you and for me. A God who actually provides his own son. Instead of my son, his own son, instead of me. But at the same time, at the same time, nothing quite prepares us for the excruciating detail, agony in the story. Why this unimaginable severity at Moriah? Is there no other way? And the answer is no. Because a three-day walk to Moriah exposes us. Whether or not we are prepared to serve, to follow, a God who asks so much, maybe too much, at Moriah, we accept and worship a God we do not understand. At Moriah, we see a God who is not to be trifled with. At Moriah, we embrace a mystery. At Moriah, we meet a God who sacrifices, or rather, we meet a God who demonstrates personally what it all means in the sacrifice of his only son. We may be surprised at a lot of the details in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. But we are not surprised. When we hear the voice of the angel of the Lord from heaven saying to Abraham, don't lay a hand on your son don't do anything to him and it tells us that God is there but that's still not the main point we like to say things like you know God came through in the nick of time and that's great and it's true but that's not the point or that not only is God not at the end of the rope, that God is at the end of the knot at the end of your rope. Yes, but that's at the point. Here's the point. Mount Moriah is the centerpiece of Abraham's and our and everyone's life of faith. And the perfection of this is by Jesus when he himself embraces and accepts and absorbs his own binding in Gethsemane. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then Paul. Paul picks it up for us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The message reads it this way, that no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. There's nothing new. It's not abnormal. It's not unusual. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. And he'll always be there to help you come through. The whole point of this text is to help us to understand willingness and submission. And I leave you with four things. First of all is this. We can expect to be tested. There's no option. There are no exceptions. Abraham's test is like ours, but it's not like ours. So we need to be careful there. We need to focus on the promises, not the explanations. Because I am not smart enough to explain this text well enough that it completely makes sense. Number three, depend on a God that we do not understand, yet he is faithful. And the last thing is this, embrace but God has